The Kern Institute Podcast Network. So this episode is, of course, American Thanksgiving. Should we be concerned that our our Canadian listeners are going to be confused about why this is coming out in November? Is anyone else concerned about this? Anyone? Welcome, everyone. We're so happy to have you here. This is the Thanksgiving episode of Medical Education Matters, and our main topic here is to talk about gratitude. Uh, That's what Thanksgiving is all about. But in the medical space, giving and receiving gratitude can feel especially complicated when we're talking about different roles, different power dynamics, interactions with patients, etc. And we thought this would be a fun way to delve into this important topic of gratitude. So let's go ahead and get warmed up with our panel here, let's just uh, do a round of what are you thankful for? I'm going to start with you, Anita. Yeah. So for me, every year I say modern medicine, uh, maybe toothbrushes too. A, a, a very important component of modern medicine, I would argue. <laughs> Jeff, how about you? Earth. Solid, simple, no explanation needed. I remember my dad had a headband once that said, uh, there's no gravity, the earth sucks, you know, so it's kind of like one of those situations. I like the air, I like the water, kind of nice. <laughs> Herodotus, how about you? Well, Jeff, as usual, he took my, you know, punchline. I was going to say our planet, now I have to come up with something else. I guess, you know, friends, without them, where would we be? And for me, I think uh, a little bit friend related, you know, family and good health. Uh, Some of you listeners know I have a new baby here at home who's about six months old now. And uh, it just feels good to have a a healthy growing baby at home. I think that touches well on planet Earth, of course, to support life and also on modern medicine. Uh, Always Mm -hmm. good to have doctors who can confirm that that baby is healthy and growing. Mm hmm. All right, let's let's dive right into gratitude here. The the first question that I wrote down that I want to bring to you all is about giving and receiving gratitude being a challenging thing. Uh, I think understanding how to give gratitude in a way that makes us feel good and then understanding how to receive gratitude or a compliment. Those are challenging things. They're difficult. Um, you know, and as I was thinking about, well, why is this? Well, why is it so hard? And one of the things is that there's a component of receiving gratitude that can feel like an obligation. You know what I mean? Like someone has paid you a compliment, which can feel good, but it also means now I have to respond in a certain way. And sometimes when you receive a compliment like that, the response doesn't really go anywhere. So like, I I was trying to think of an example. So like, uh, like we had a, a medic podcast that I just scheduled for release. And Jeff, you said, oh, thanks so much for scheduling that. I don't know what to say in response to that. I can say you're welcome, but then it's hard to go anywhere from here. It's kind of a conver- conversation killer unless I offer some kind of joke or some kind of self-deprecation. And then we can kind of banter and have a conversation about it. But now it sounds like I'm not receiving that compliment. I'm not being grateful that you've you've paid me this gratitude. So I, I think that's one of the challenges of it. Who else has some thoughts about why it can be so hard to to be, especially on the receiving end of gratitude? 
I just want to capitalize on Michael's statement. I've been wrestling with this idea of transactional relationships versus authentic relationships. That's probably another whole podcast, but it sounds like my school, that's what you're describing is there's this transaction that has to take place. If I say, thank you, you have to exchange that with welcome and then so on and so forth. So Anita, thank you for giving me the space. I just wanted to mention that quick as a thought. What I was thinking about when, when given a compliment and I, I agree, sometimes it's, it's like, I don't know what to do with it, but I've learned to what, what I've learned about gratitude specifically is that, um, you know, you're supposed to do gratitude journals to like write three things down every day that you're thankful for and are grateful for. And, you know, every day it's sometimes always the same thing. Like, oh, my, you know, my cup of tea, my friends, my family, um, you know, or like something in particular that went on, but it, it makes you slow down and like, sort of like in that, that movie about Apollo 13, it's like, it's a total mess. Like they have to fit a square thing in a round hole and the command central guy goes, okay, tell me what we got. That's good. That's right. So it's like, how are we going to make this work? Let's slow down, solve the problem. Let's see what's out there and, um, and be accepting so um, that's what I think about when I think of compliments. And so what I've learned to say is somebody gives me a compliment. I'll say, that's so nice to hear. Thank you. You know, something like that. So I can receive it and they know I've heard them. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. And I'll tell you a little bit from the perspective of leadership, because I think, you know, it, it's lonely many times being, you know, at the top of a ladder, right? At the top of the pyramid. And many times you don't know whether the compliment that you're receiving is genuine or whether something is attached to it. So in my mind, I, I, I make it extremely important for my role on a daily basis to thank people that work really hard to create the teamwork that we usually bring up to take care of patients, to provide education and so on. So when I ask the learners or the faculty, hey, how did we do today? I emphasize that we part, how did we do today? Um, and I remind them that we take patients to the operating room as a pediatric anesthesiologist, and we wake them up. That is an achievement by itself. Every day, in and out, we do that. So I'm thankful for that. And I remind them to be thankful for what we do every day. Jeff, it seems to me that that taps back into this observation that you shared about the transactional nature of it. Well, just the way that Herodotus described it, this notion that someone in a leadership position, there, there, of course, still is this sense that I want someone to be grateful for what I'm doing and to recognize it. You know, we need validation at, at any level. But at the same time, Herodotus, like you said, you want to emphasize the we, because if you come in and say, tell me what I did great today. Hey, wasn't I wasn't I fantastic in the feedback I gave you? It's purely transactional. And the other person who is in a position of lower power now feels compelled to say, oh, yes, Dr. Ellenis, you are simply incredible. Thank you so much for everything you do. I, I, I got that. I got that. So, OK, that's some other 
uh, connections being made in my mind too, to, to back to the intersectionality that, that we experience as individuals, right? Herodotus is a leader and he's probably being led by somebody too. So there's that. And I think for me, it speaks to a bigger picture challenge of recognizing that those who we might assume have all the psychological wealth because they're in a leadership position or because they hold some higher level of power, I find challenging to say to them, thank you. Because in my mind, it's like, well, gee, you have it all already. Why should I be grateful for that? So I, th I think there's that sense. For me, I wrestle with that. I mean, in that way too. Um, but yeah, the, to the transactional pieces is, is something that, uh, I would imagine, as you point out, would be heightened by this power dynamic that that, that exists. So, so definitely. Um, but yeah, you know, for me, it's it's because it, I'm so involved in thinking about character, uh, being in the, the philosophies and medical education transformation lab, where we talk a lot about uh, virtue ethics and things of that nature. It's it's, and I thought about this question. I was like it kind of, for me personally, always butts up against humility. So my character trait of wanting to be humble. Um, and at the same time, my multicultural training has taught me it's okay to ask for appreciations. You know, that's part of the whole dynamic of addressing those power issues, right? So it's a bit of a wrestling match. Um, I almost have a sense of embarrassment or egotism when someone, you know, not saying when they say thank you for doing something on a daily basis, but uh, you know, the, maybe the bigger thank you is that, that come in some form of a larger recognition. Um, so you know, I ask myself, should I feel awesome or should I be humble? Right? Is it that intrinsic? I feel good enough about what I've done. That's all I need to know. Or do I need that? You know, validation. And I, I can't disagree. It's it's uh, many times in my life I said, well, I want to feel validated. I just ask myself, how can I go about doing that? Do I need it to come extrinsically or can I simply look myself in the mirror and say, you know, kind of a little bit of affirmation here, right? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. I love that, Stuart Smalley. <laughs> um, it, it, it's very interesting, Jeff, that you you brought up humility and humble. Um, and I had just recently been on a panel about leadership and one of the pieces was humble leadership as being a style and one of the things that i brought up and again it ties back to is it transactional is it more of a partnership what is it about this genuine response of someone or myself when we interact and we say thank you or we give a compliment and I gave the people three mindsets. One was trust. If trust is built within that interaction, that relationship, I felt that is very different in how that communication of a compliment or a thank is perceived. The second part was respect and support. And again, if I have credibility, people know I'm honest. People know that I do my best every day and I respect and support them. That thank you that I give at the end of the day feels real. 
to them. And then the third part is the curiosity part that I, I always have felt that if you, and, and by no means I'm perfect, this, I do my best. There are times that my plate is so full, I lose control of what the contents are. But I, I think if you're curious and walk with a positive intent, then again, it allows for some of that compliment to be perceived or received in a good way. Being a parent of teenagers, I'm just going to say it's um, internal validation. It's not external. It's not always going to come your way. <laughs> and yes, you do the best you can. <laughs> so that in, that internal point is so key, Anita. I think, you know, there is something about a mindset and the way that we see and view ourselves that allows us to receive gratitude. And I think if if we walk around all day thinking, well, I'll use the parenting example as the parent of a three-year-old who, uh, you know, also <laughs> offers some challenges that are very similar, I've been told, to the teenage years. If you walk around all day expecting that you're going to be greeted with a hug and a thank you because you, you, picked up a cup of milk that had been thrown on the floor, it's never going to happen. And if, if I go around thinking I'm a terrible parent, I got frustrated, I got angry, I, I refused to get a third glass of water when it was bedtime, and I, I instead spoke more harshly than I perhaps wanted to, uh, if, if I walk around beating myself up over that, then compliments aren't going to feel the same way. Gratitude isn't going to feel the same way. It's going to feel like, in some ways, it's in conflict with my internal sense of things. But if instead I can take the long view and have a, have a sense that yes, things are going to be frustrating and difficult, but that doesn't mean I can't be recognized for the fact that I'm trying, uh, perhaps I'm more receptive to that gratitude. And, and I think you're touching on three, you know, medicine, parenting, education in general, right? Those oftentimes, what's the old, there's an old phrase that goes with, you know, those are kind of ungrateful jobs, I sort of speak. Not to, you know, twist it negative here, but I think just to, to Anita's point, you know, so I guess I'll ask Anita, how do you, you know, maybe take what you've experienced with your teenagers and apply it to the clinic or apply it to, uh, you know, the classroom, it's complicated because yes, there's a lot of work and effort and I'm not perfect. And, you know, recently we've had a, quite a bit of challenges uh, regarding the set of OSCEs. And so I'm in like this swirl of um, kind of a mess because there's a imbalance between my effort to create a, a, a space where students are not only safe, but like be able to practice hard things. And then they don't necessarily see it, but they're really getting the difficulty of it. Um, so yes, like maybe in the long game, like it'll be five years from now or 10 years from now that some these this introduction will come to play. But um, it's a hot seat to, to be in for sure. And um, I'm actually struggling with that right now. Yeah, but I got to share it. You just made me think of a personal experience similar to that. So in between being a uh, PhD uh, teaching in the UW system, University of Wisconsin system, and uh, eventually getting to Medical College of Wisconsin, I actually did uh, went back to bartending and I got to be a short order cook. And I've always kind of enjoyed cooking. So it gave me a chance to try that on. And 
Oh, geez. After I quit that job, I don't know. It must have been eh, quite a bit later, like you know, six, seven, I don't know, eight months later, whatever it was. I'm at another establishment, and this person walks up to me and she says, "Did you used to 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 cook at uh, this place in Marathon City?" And I said, "Well, yeah." And she's like, "You know, you made me the best shrimp scampi I've ever had." Yum. I know, right? And I think that's what I'm hearing in your story, right? Is it didn't happen then and there when I made it, but quite a ways mm-hmm. down the road. And yeah, I felt good. One day, one day, my, I don't know. It's like my, with my kids, it's like one day I'll look back and we're, my husband and I were like, you know, I can't wait till we can go to their house and make a mess and not clean it up. <laughs> It'll happen. You're, you're going to get there. Although I, I bet you'll, you'll feel too bad. You won't want to make a mess. You'll be the ones that know walking up. around with the Swiffer, you That's know, right. Or, or they'll have some, they'll have some kids of their own, your grandkids, and you'll feel even doubly responsible for cleaning up after them. Trying to leave leave the house better than you found it. It's very that that and that ties into the art, one of the articles like because Michael again your your questions got me thinking as a as a psychologist psychological scientist I couldn't resist going and being curious and looking up oh you know what is it about accepting gratitude um, and you know Anita mentioning going over to her kid's house in the future and cleaning right it's that article about don't offer coworkers help unless you're asked right because there's this um, so. Yeah, just touching on that point about making sure that that you're saying, "Hey, do you want my do you want me to sweep or sweep the house while I'm here?" kind of thing, you know, and uh, uh, that can because that can have different things in terms of how do I feel about myself? They think I need help all the time. Why are they always asking me for help? Kind of thing. So, um, I think that also ties into the other article about you know giving and receiving thanks or apologizing, and those authors that were saying uh, we have this framework um called the responsible exchange theory and basically they're pointing out that when we give thanks right um or apologize for something um it's it's really this relay of information either about credit or blame and they and these involve image-based trade-offs between appearing competent and appearing warm so that got me to think a little bit deeper maybe another podcast um is, you know, again, what are these character traits butt up against each other? I, I want to appear caring, but apparently the research is saying if I appear caring, I don't come across as, as competent. And if I'm uh, competent, I, think I don't, right? Women, so, okay, go, women yeah. are going to be like in that swirly mess forever. It's like you have to be likable, but if you're likable, you're not competent. If you're too, if you're too competent, or masculine, then you're not likable. Yeah. If you're too assertive, you're not a nice person, right? Whereas if you're a man, if you're assertive, too assertive, you had a bad day. So, but, you know, again, that that's a little bit of a, a different piece. I think, Jeff, I'm going to go back to the piece that you said on the article that people um, don't, don't offer your help unless you're asked. And again, I, I will I will go back to credibility and depending who is asking, you know, who, who is offering the help. I think if you've created that trustworthy environment, that environment of collaboration and care, at least in the work that I do and in medicine, I think it, if you've 
if you've enveloped the people that you work with you and you've collaborated and supported them all along, offering the help, I find is a way of showing the, the support that you can provide on a daily basis. Whereas you're right, if you know it's a stranger and you say, hey, can I help you? The person is not always sure whether that help is offered because you think they're incompetent. They're not doing the job as you expect them to do it. And therefore, they're dubious about that offer. Whereas, you know, the other way around, I think it's a little more, again, going back to the genuine part. Is that a component for your OSCEs, Anita? I'm wondering, is there this sense that the help you're offering me, the feedback you're giving me, et cetera, is you being critical of a student as opposed to you wanting them to succeed? Do you think that's a component there? I think... Um, I, I think part of the issue is like the framing of the feedback, like you're saying, and like how to receive it. So that's on the student. We can, we can, um, niceify it as much as we can and be constructive, but, um, how it's received, if it's a growth mindset and, um, and I have credibility to, um, provide that feedback if they view me as credible or and then they can they can accept it or not. Um, it's sort of their choice um, how they do it. If they're um, they see it as criticism, uh, no matter what. If it's like a you know a grade, then that could be uh, you know somewhat limiting. Like it's just a box to check and not like a opportunity for growth. So I think that's maybe a I don't know, like a, an approach. I think we could all do better. Yeah, you know, it makes me think of something I used to do with students on the first day of class. I would do a little intro survey, help me get to know you. One of the questions I would put is, how do you prefer to receive feedback? And I was mostly thinking about the feedback that I would give them on written work that they turned in. And I would give some examples, like, do you want the comments to be direct? Like, this sentence is unclear. Do you want uh, mostly focused on things you did well and then encouraging you to, to use those same strengths to other parts of your writing? Now, the secret is I never actually changed how I gave feedback. It would be impossible to review every student's flashcard and be like, okay, I'm grading this paper. This is what I have to do. But I always tried to make it this sort of strength-based, I really like how this paragraph is organized. Do you see what you've done here? This paragraph could use the same approach. And I think there is something about setting that stage that I want to give feedback to you in the way that's helpful to you, because this is about helping you grow, that then creates the right mindset in the students that hopefully makes them more receptive to feedback, more re and, and also more receptive to the gratitude component of it, being able to be to hear what you did well and embracing that as something you can grow from, as opposed to only focusing on the negative pieces. Well, I think you could capitalize even on the negative side of it uh, in terms of saying, I'm grateful for you taking on the challenge of medical school and being here in this place that isn't always going to be so um, gracious, I guess, to stick with the theme here. Um, but yeah, so Michael, it's a, it's a good point in, in, in knowing that we can say, hey, thanks for being here. I'm glad you're here with me. And then hopefully the student can see that as a role model and say, there's some things I can do to express this gratitude. I know how challenging it can be to give negative feedback, to, 
to identify these opportunities for me to improve and to share them with me. And I'm grateful for the time you've taken to so carefully review my performance and for overcoming this difficulty that sometimes it hurts to share negative feedback. With, with that kind of mindset, I think there can be a lot of power in whatever we sh- we're sharing with each other. That trust component, Herodotus, it makes me think. Yesterday, again, to give you an example, one of my learners didn't necessarily give me a compliment per se. And I think I, I talked with Jeff about this, but it was the way he asked. He said, how do you do this? How do you manage to run a board full of patients to take care of us, to make sure the patient is doing well and be focused on patient care and do it well? That was a compliment. He didn't, he didn't say thank you. He didn't say, I'm glad you're here. But the way he phrased it and the way he said it to me made me feel like, huh, that, that it, it's not the validation again of the work that I do, but it is the importance of the work that we do and the trust that someone has on the things that you do every day. And I, and I think that that's an important piece in all of our jobs, whether we are an orderly, whether you're in, um, you know, not in education or in the medical field. I think in my mind, all of the pieces are critical in the, um, the wheel that is spinning. And without the critical spokes on the wheel, we don't have any of this thing moving forward. We don't have forward motion. And this sounds a lot like conversations I've had with one of our colleagues, Dr. Karen Mardante, who does a lot of work with mattering. And so I think uh, perhaps we uh, make a note here that we could have her uh, uh, on the podcast and we can loop back to your point, Herodotus, with this and tie it in to say, you know, we all really want to have a sense of, of mattering in some, at some level. So I think that's what I hear in your statement. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we do have a podcast episode that is coming up with uh, a colleague of Karen Mark Dante's. Uh, and I look forward to getting that up. I don't know when we're going to put it up, but it'll be soon. So for any listeners looking to learn more about mattering, we have one conversation coming up about that. And I think we should do more. Uh, I think mattering is such, I, I say it has high face validity. It's one of those concepts that you learn about and immediately you start connecting it to pieces of your life and understanding the role that it plays. And it actually brings me to the next question that I want to raise for our group here. I, I specifically want to hear from our two physicians here about the role of gratitude within that clinical practice. And the perspective that I'm coming to this comes from recent experience of my wife having a baby about six months ago. Because I work in a med school, I hear so much about how challenging it is for all of these folks working in healthcare, especially because of the pandemic and the extra burden uh, that it's placed on folks, not just because of you know, emergency rooms that are overwhelmed, hospitals that are overwhelmed, but also the constant threat to their lives that they endured. Uh, It's very difficult. And my response to that in the moment was to be, I I would say, overly gracious. And everything a nurse did or a CNA did, I wanted to make sure I was recognizing them and thanking them, you know, bringing my wife a cup of ice. Oh, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Uh, You know, a cool washcloth, whatever it was. 
And at some point in time, it felt like, am I overwhelming these folks with constantly asking them to receive gratitude? Is it ultimately becoming too difficult? And so I'm wondering from our two physicians, Anita and Herodotus, what do you think about this? Is there a point where it's too much gratitude? What is the role from you know patient to provider when it comes to giving and receiving gratitude? That's an interesting situation because um, because like showing up and doing hard things is the job, you know, and it's naturally you're going to walk in the room when it's time for delivery and participate and then take care of the patient. Like that's our job, just like making shrimp scampi and making a really good one, you know? Um, so there's some intrinsic, um, um, I don't know, like acceptance and like validity of just knowing you did a, a good work. Um, hearing it from the patients is always nice. I would, I would say it's better than just, just sort of like when you go to a restaurant and I mean, I overtip all the time. I think since COVID too, I'm like, I really overtip, but, um, because I'm just like, thank you for being here and giving me this coffee. Like here's $5, you know? Um, uh, but you know, in the hospital, there is so much involved and maybe there's just more awareness of like all the moving parts and everything that happens and how lucky we are to be able to, you know, go into the hospital and have a safe space and, you know, have a successful delivery and have, you know, patients taken care of in a, a very, you know, in, like modern, like I said, modern medicine. I'm so thankful for it. Like it's done wonderful things. So there's a lot to be grateful for, but is it overwhelming to the staff? Like, I don't know, like there's different ways to express gratitude and being thankful and I think acknowledging people that are participating in that care, I think that's that's reasonable. And people do that in different ways. It can be, you know, I always like had my husband when I had my babies, I was like, make sure you bring in like the giant fruit, you know, like the cut fruit tray and like bring it in plus the bagels and the cream cheese for this for the staff and um of you know, people that are involved and you know, when I was a patient myself, I made a point of like talking to the entire team, the medical students, the interns, the residents, the fellows, uh, everybody was involved in my care. Like, how are you doing that? You know, uh, recognizing how they are taking care of me um, and making sure that they know that um, they have a, th that they should be taken, they should be taken care of also. And in a in, in a learning environment. So I don't know, is it too much overwhelming? I don't know. I guess it depends on the delivery. Well, I think you, Anita, you gave such interesting examples of different ways to give gratitude. So the notion of, you know, bringing in something, you know, we have two kids and, and both of them, it was an overnight labor. And I, I, we didn't do this, but I love the idea of saying, Hey, here's, you know, here's some special food, here's some whatever, just as a way to say, Hey, well, you know, we see what you're doing. We see how hard this is. And then also the way that you kind of can play this role of checking in and that fits right in with the mattering piece. Like it's not just about giving compliments. Oh, you're the way you put in that IV. You're so skilled and amazing. Thank you so much. I always say that too, because I've had hard, you know, blood draws and IVs that were bad and like art lines that were just, oh, 
So if it's done well, I'm like, wow, that was great. You didn't, I didn't even feel that. That's amazing. So yeah, I do that. I had the best flu shot in my life from a student, a pharmacy student at MCW in the big clinic and literally did not feel anything. And I said to her, that is the least painful vaccine I have ever received. Because that was one of those times where I really wanted to acknowledge what she had just done. Herodotus, what do you think? Well, you know, I'll I'll come from a a little bit different perspective. And I'll say, you know, many, many eons ago, it was always the physician sitting on the pedestal. And he was, thank you, sir. And he was, sir, for all the work you've done. You've been so wonderful. You came to me and so on. And, And he was, I think, in many ways, a believable transactional piece because that's how it was. He was the primary care physicians who went to the homes and took care of the patients and so on. We've come a very different way since then. I think in many ways, the pendulum has swung in a different direction. And I'm not going to say completely to the other side, because I think today with Google, with electronic medical record, the openness of what we do every day has changed. And I think as a clinician, you think about the compliments and you're not always sure whether those compliments are attached to a sub-hidden action, something else that is coming that you don't always recognize. And, you know, there I'm I'm bringing it up in that way because I think the opportunities that today's world, technological world has brought up includes, you know, discussion with families of what's happening, quick advice when one is needed. The challenges came with litigation, misinformation with poor documentation and so on. So I'm a little bit ambivalent. I think, again, I'm back to that genuine piece Do I mean it? If I'm going to say thank you, if I have the gratitude of what people have done and it's clearly what my intent is, I think people realize that. And if they didn't realize it, I I move on. But I think, um, Michael, you know, I'm going to turn it a little bit back to you. Did you get a thank you card? for choosing, you know, the location of, from the nurses, thank you so much for being here with us and having your, you know, baby at our institution. Yes, we did. And it went right in our daughter's, uh, along with the other cards she received. So it will be there in her birth box to, to eventually, you know, throw away and wonder why her parents saved this. No, no, no. To look at and treasure forever and ever. So, um, you know, and I'm I'm smiling and, you know, I brought it back to that because I think, is that a transactional piece? Because in my mind is the reason that thank you is there. Is it really genuine? Thank you so much for having your labor and your baby here. Or is it thank you and tell every one of your friends that we are awesome and come to us and have your baby because we want your business. And so again, what is the hidden behind that? And how does the relationship that you have with those providers shape that interpretation? 
is it a big uh, autograph line where everybody pass the card down? We do it once a week and everybody has to sign and you don't think about it. Or is there actual reflection on who this patient was? And of course, we're also in a situation in which when labor and delivery goes successfully, which of course it, it tragically doesn't always do, but when it does go successfully, it seems like there's not much more fulfilling in the life of a physician, a nurse, a CNA, uh, you know, any in any position than to bring new life into the world. And so I, I think from that perspective, I did think about that thank you card as, hey, we, we get to do awesome things here. Thanks for letting us be a part of your child's arrival. It's true. Obstetrics is the best because we do the coolest stuff. Well, I think it all touches on being appreciative uh, at individual levels, if possible. Um, the idea uh, is that one thing I, so I have a friend who is a roofer, and he says to me, you know, I got in the practice when I went to uh, the gas station to use the person's name tag and to say their name and say, thank you for being here. And I think that individualized name recognition, right, is something that I think gets over the the uh, transactional component of that um, in a sense that I've recognized you as an individual, something special about you that makes you stand out that I'm appreciating being grateful for. So just I think of how to help get over that transitional, transact, yeah, translational uh, relationship. Uh, and get into a more authentic space uh, with being grateful, I think makes a big, big difference. You know, all this talk about transactional, I, I think about one of my favorite books, which is comes from a space of transaction, how to win friends and influence people. This is a book for how to be a successful salesperson. And yet, Jeff, everything that's in that book touches on what you just said. So when you're giving appreciation and showing interest, the, the book says it has to be genuine. And you can find something to be genuinely interested about someone else, genuinely appreciative of them. And then it also says, use their name. And it has kind of a cheesy line, like a person's name is the sweetest sounding word to them, something like that. But it is also about that recognition and visibility. You're here. You're a person. This isn't simply a transaction. Um, and, and I think that's a really powerful thing. So let's go ahead and close us out here. Um, I'm wondering, before we go, Jeff, Herodotus, Anita, any last takeaways that you want to offer on gratitude? I just try to focus on the, the small things and being appreciative of the small things and not necessarily looking into the future so much of for, for other things to be appreciative of, uh, but recognizing in the moment what's what's in front of me um, and, and being, you know, like I said, grateful for those small little things. Um, and, uh, and I think the second take home I would encourage people to think about is, you know, being appreciative of your experiences, right? That uh, often we hear from the wisest in the room that it's, it's, it wasn't so much the successes as it was the failures, but all together that makes up the dream that we're, that we're living hopefully and flourishing in. And, and so I think being grateful for those experiences um, is, is the second take home message I would, I would hope people would key in on. So um, great. Another growth opportunity. Is that how I should be <laughs> moving forward? 
we have so much potential for constant growth. Yeah, I would say be kind, be supportive, and um, assume positive intent. When we have that trust piece, there's there's so far that we can go in giving and receiving gratitude. Well, thank you all so much. Uh, my name is Michael Brown. I'm so happy to be here with Herodotus Ellenis, Jeff Amundsen, and Anita Bublik Anderson. We appreciate you listening. Uh, stay tuned for more great episodes coming from this feed. We're really enjoying bringing them to you, and we hope you're enjoying listening. So thanks so much, and happy Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble.